I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. You're listening to BSH Radio. Is this true? Live from the WIP studios in Philadelphia. The hockey team, the Flyers. And right here on BroadStreetHockey.com. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. We're coming to you live. From the WIP studios, uh, we have quite a fun show planned for you tonight. It's all about the captain. That's right, Claude Giroux. What do you think? Is he declining? Well, he is. But how badly is it going to go? So is your Let's, face. I, you know, Kelly, just had to get personal this early in the show. You, you, you stepped to me last week, and that was fine. Now, if it's going to become a regular thing, I'm going to have to treat you like Steph. Nobody and wants that. Just <laughs> let you beat on me constantly. <laughs> uh, let's just let's get right into it. First and foremost, my broadcast partner in crime, Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. How are you tonight, Steph? I'm wonderful, and well, so is good. Claude Giroux. Well, that's a real liberal interpretation of wonderful. <laughs> Claude Giroux is wonderful. There, there's no other word for him. He is a delight and a treasure off ice and he is the strongest offensive player that the Flyers have on ice. Wonderful. He's the best player in a team that can't score. That's absolutely true. Well, last year. The man with the observations he wrote the article breaking down Claude Giroux's season in which he did not bounce back. Charlie O'Connor. So yeah, you can blame me for this conversation. I'm doing that. Basically all my <laughs> fault for writing the season review that we're going to be talking about a lot tonight. My uh, So I did not just this season review, but the, the season review for Giroux the previous year as well. And I made it very clear after that review that while there were some not-so-great signs, they could all partially be explained by the fact that it was mostly a drop-off at the end of the year when he apparently was dealing with injury and had the surgery. So my hope mm. at the end of last, at the end of not the 2016-17 season, but the 2015-16 season was that he has the surgery, comes back strong, bounces back, everyone's happy. Unfortunately, that's not what happened, and that's why we're having this conversation. Last but not least, the bespectacled, spectacular Kelly Hinkle. So I'm just going to piggyback on what Charlie just said. <clears throat> take us back to our old friend Timmy P, may he rest in peace, who informed all of us last year that the surgery that Claude Giroux and Shane Gossespierre both had at the beginning of last season takes a full calendar year under the best circumstances for players to return to their normal level of performance. So, Claude Giroux sucked for most of the year because he was recovering, and when we saw him starting to come up at the end of the season, it's because he was getting better. And now he's all the way better. So things are great and good. Thank you. Good Hope night. so. I go back <laughs> to when we uh, broke down the uh, the Nolan Patrick injury and how the doctor William Myers, uh, the the sports the sports hernia doctor here in Philadelphia, spoke about what it 
what happens when players are coming back from those injuries and how the abdomen itself will heal and players often bounce back to their previous level, if not above it. What what happens is when players uh, really don't come all the way back, get back to 100%, is when it gets into their hips. And when I hear Giroux had both the abdomen and the hip surgery last offseason, I believe it could just be something that took a chunk out of his overall ability that he may never get back to. And he is in that point of his career where he will be in statistical statistical decline. Uh it's concerning because I really, really need this guy to like even out as a 60 to 65 point player for this team to stay on the track it's on and really uh, work with its current core. But I can't say that these numbers are encouraging. In 2014 15, he was a 0.90 point a game player. In 2015 16, 0.86. In 2016 17, 0.71. That is trending in the wrong direction. The big concern I have is, and I broke this down in the article, is the 5-on-5 play. Now, granted, a lot of players have issues with 5-on-5 play on this team, but Giroux's numbers were especially concerning. On the power play, it's fine. And not just fine, Giroux is still one of the best power play forwards in hockey. Like, 100%, I would say Giroux is top 5, top 10 best, best power play forward in hockey. He quarterbacks a power play that scores a ton of goals. He, you know, creates tons of chances for guys like Braden Shen, Wayne Simmons, Shane Gosses, Barry, even Voracek on the other side. He's fantastic at that. The problem has been at 5-on-5, five five, and the numbers two years ago were, were okay. They weren't amazing, but they were okay. He was still scoring like a second-line center. He was driving play like a second-line center. Obviously, that's not what you're hoping for, but that's fine, especially when he's one of the best power play forwards. That's still good value. This year, he scored like a fourth-line player. He, if you look at his points per 60, which basically takes the amount of points he scored and uh, and then you know controls for the amount of time he spent on the ice, he was a less efficient 5-on-5 scorer this year than Dale Weiss and Chris Vandevelde. And that's terrifying. <laughs> now, 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 granted, Drew was getting tougher assignments, obviously, but still. like The only two guys he was a more efficient scorer than a 5-on-5 were Belmar, who was literally like the worst 5-on-5 scorer in the league, and Roman Lebibov. And that's it. In terms of fours, that's it. And it's not like he was driving play like a Matt Reed to make up for it. He was okay. He was about plus one positive, plus one percentage point positive roll to his teammates and raw shot differential in Corsi. And he was negative one when you weigh the shots for quality. So about break even. Just fine from a third line center. Maybe even okay from a second line center. But from your first line center who also isn't scoring at all five on five, like these are really concerning numbers and you can't just brush them aside. They have to be addressed and they have to be discussed, I think. But they also can't be looked at in a vacuum, in my opinion. And you have a guy who was injured for the entire season. I think it's safe to say that he was not performing at 100% for the entire season. Add to that a coach who didn't have any idea what the hell he was doing. Not Add to that year. a team that struggled as a whole for the entirety of the season. I'm just not ready to call last season's terrible performance Claude Giroux. Like, I'm not ready. Oh, I don't think he's yet. that bad. I don't. I hope to God he's not that bad, but I do see his play trending downwards. Hopefully he's not well, the isn't guy. Well, isn't that true for every player in their late 20s? Pretty much. Isn't he supposed to be trending downwards? And think, that's the yeah. issue, yeah. that he's signed through 2022, I think, and... If you're going to have that much of your salary cap dedicated to a guy who is trending downwards, it really puts the rest of your ability to compete 
and build a roster in question. It creates a precarious situation for the general manager to have to work around. Claude Giroux has a no-movement clause. He's the captain of the team. There's only so much you can do if he just continues to not get any better. And the... I'm going to let you go, Steph. Uh, eventually, <laughs> you'll finish your monologue. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, the... The guy is incredibly tough, and he's played through a lot over the past several seasons. Uh, he doesn't miss many games. He's a, he's an absolute gamer. He has earned that C. However, he's always been an undersized center. He's always been a guy who's had to work a little harder, go into the corners, and do the things he needed to do to be able to be that 90-plus point player that he was at one point. I wonder if that's catching up to him now, where, yeah, maybe it's the injuries, but... I have no proof that the injuries are going to stop. Um, so you, it's funny that you mention injury because that's actually what I was just looking up here. Um, in the last, we'll say since the lockout year, including the lockout year, Claude Giroux has missed five games, period. Like whether it was due to injury or sickness or whatever, he's missed five games since January 2012. Uh, no, they played, when did that lockout season start? It started January in January, but it was 2013. It was the 2012 season, 2012-13 season. But since then, in the last five years, he's missed five games. Yeah, he had that concussion in that uh 93-point season in 2011-12. And then he had that cheap shot concussion yeah. he got against the Coyotes a but couple years beyond ago. that, yeah, yeah, he played every game in 2012-13. That was just the, yeah, the 48-game season. Yep. All 82 in 2013-14. Uh, missed one, played in 81 in 14-15. Uh, missed, what, four in 2015-16, and played every game last year. So he is, abs like I said, he's absolutely been a gamer. He's earned that C. He's he's out there. I just well, believe I, that he's wearing down partially because I mean, of his ability to play through stuff. Maybe, maybe, but, but you can't say that he's, necessarily injury prone and, and injuries are wreaking havoc on his career when he's only missed five games. I don't think we're saying that he's injury prone, but he's had a lot of surgery. So he had the hip surgery and the abdominal surgery. He had the double, the wrist. double wrist surgery a few years back after that Penguin series when Crosby sent the whole series uh, hacking at his wrist. Yeah. And then he, what, he hurt his wrist playing golf that one year? <laughs> yeah, he had yeah. some playing surgery. Golf. And he also had the neck thing when he was over in Germany that he had to come back and get checked out. When he was over in Germany during the lockout, he had a neck injury that everyone was like, oh, no, another concussion. Like, no, no, it's not a concussion. He uh, hurt he, his yeah. neck. And then he, ha and he has yeah. had a few diagnosed concussion yes and he's had several diagnosed concussions for a like five foot eleven I think he's a 180 pound center who has been getting those first line minutes you know since Richardson Carter got traded I believe it could probably I don't believe again like Charlie said he's injury prone but it's piling up it's just wearing down on him I mean maybe the maybe. minutes, the I, minutes I that, and the the way he's deployed I, I think that that's that's finding a reason for the decline I think that that's that's a little bit of a reason Reach. I I don't think that it, it's wrong, but I don't. I also don't think that it's right. I mean, it's a theory. Right. Everything we're we're throwing out here are theories because what we're looking at are the numbers are going down, and then it's okay. Well, why? Right. And there's a lot of different possible theories as to why, but injuries are one such theory. So Kelly said we can't look at this in a vacuum. Let's look at the production of every player on this team last year. Everybody sucked. A Except for Wayne Simmons. And, and even he wasn't good at 5-on-5. And he was good. not good at 5-on-5. Braden Shen, not good at 5-on-5. Five five. 
generally at all, but definitely not last year. But Shen still... Simmons, not good at five on five, still reached his 30 goals. That's what you're right, looking right, for. Right, right, right. No, I'm saying that everybody except for those two, everybody had a down year. So let's look at the reason behind that. And, and I think in part the reason why they didn't, part the reason why it didn't look as bad for them in comparison to the other guys is because they never rack up a lot of points at five on five. Yes. So for them, yeah. this like for them, it wasn't that big of a deal that the Flyers sucked at five on five because they rack up all their points in the power play anyway. Whereas guys like Drew and Voracek, yeah, they racked up a ton of points in the power play, but they also racked up a ton of points at 5-on-5. Five five. This year they didn't, so their numbers looked worse than they usually do because they bank on getting 30, 35 points at 5-on-5, five five, and this year they got like 20-25 points. At one point, it's not going to be today, it probably won't be next week, but I really want to talk about why 5-on-5 five five points matter so much more than power play points because there's more time. I just I don't think they necessarily. Well, I, yes, I get that. A five on five, it's also a larger sample size. You get a, a a bigger, a general picture of what you can expect from the players. But there's in the last few years in Philadelphia, there's just been this insanity around five on five points, and and I get it. It's very important because it's most of the game, and you don't want your best players to only score when the other team is at a disadvantage. But not today, but one day, <laughs> Even I'm going to bring how, it up. Like, Voracek had a quote-unquote down year, but he still reached his three-quarters of a point a game, which is basically what we've come to expect out of him. And he wasn't very good on the power play last year, just in terms of raw production. He got so, away a lot of points. He wasn't recovering from a surgery that takes a year to recover from. Yeah, I just... Who are we talking about now, Voracek? Well, I then, feel like then Kelly brought up Drew again. Other, oh, guys, other guys still reached the number that we expect out of them and Giroud didn't. I just think that everybody everybody on the team that everyone on the every forward on the team that depends upon five on five production to get to their normal point levels had down years. Mm-hmm. Like Michael Roffel had a down year from a scoring standpoint because he doesn't play on the power play. The only yeah. way he's gonna score is a five on five and no one on the team could score a five on five. Whereas guys like Simmons and and Shen, their numbers didn't look as bad comparatively to the rest of their career because they always lean up on the power play, and the power play was still good. Which again is good news because it means that Drew can still do that, which does make you feel a little bit better that you know maybe he's maybe there's other things going on here that's making them bad at five on five. The thing Poor that coaching. just the thing that just scares me is that like it's not that Drew just was bad. He was worse than guys that we all agree are bad. Oh, absolutely. That's what no, scares that's, me the that's, most. When I read your article, I was like, holy shit, that's that's a thing. I yeah. just, that's a thing, and it's not a good thing. <laughs> Claude Giroux has always been a guy who could make a highlight real play. Even if it's a bad season, a bad game, a tough matchup, he can make that one or two plays a game that you go, whew, yep. Still Drew. And last year, I just didn't see it out of him with nearly enough regularity. Maybe we can just blame the injuries. Charlie, why might it be coaching? So, one thing we've talked about a lot, I think on the show, definitely, I talked about it a bunch of my articles, is the Flyers under Hackstall, especially this year, but the more I look back, they even did this the previous year. They just honestly got some better bounces. They focus a lot on this low-to-high style in the offensive zone, which is centered around basically drawing the defense in down low and then getting the puck up high to the to, to the defenseman, who then takes shots while the guys down low try to create screens, get in front of the net, deflect shots, things like that. Now, what the general research has shown is that that's a pretty inefficient way to create offense because... Even accounting for screens and even accounting for tip shots, 
generally speaking, point shots don't create goals very often. So if you want to make the case, and I think there's a case to be made, if you want to make the case that Claude Giroux and everybody in the team has been adhering to this get just get the puck on net as you know as quickly as possible and the easiest way to do that is to get the puck up high because generally teams leave them those guys open because they're protecting the slot because they don't want people to get scoring chances that gets shots the shots don't go in Giroud doesn't score points there's a case there there's definitely a case again the the issue I have with that being the only reason is okay well then why did Dale we score more points than Claude Giroux but like or or scored a, scored a more efficient rate than, than Claude Giroux to, to be accurate happened but there's a case because you can argue that the system in the offensive zone that the Flyers were using this year did not fit with the skill set of guys like Giroux and Voracek. And one, that seems like a problem. One bit of supporting evidence there is that uh, what we're able to do with the, the data that, that Corey tracks manually, we're able to basically like like separate the performance of a player in each zone, in defensive zone in terms of shot creation, uh, neutral zone in terms of the entry battle, you know, are the Flyers creating more offensive zone entries than they're allowing, and then shot suppression in the defensive zone. Giroux and Voracek both still killed it in the neutral zone. They were, like, the Flyers were winning the entry battle handily with them on the ice, which leads you to believe that they're still they're still good, or at least they're still producing positive outcomes in the middle of the ice. The problem was in the offensive zone, and Either that's a system problem or it's that they're losing a step and it's only manifesting itself in the offensive zone, which, like, is that possible? Is it possible for you to have not many issues getting the puck through the middle of the ice, but then you suck in the in, 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 <laughs> in the offensive zone? It just it's, seems weird. It, it seems weird. It, it seems weird because I would think of all, like, I... I feel like like in a if you were to rank it, it would be easiest to make a play in the offensive zone. One would like, think. As opposed to like the defensive zone when you're defending, the neutral zone where it's just an open battle, and then you're on offense. Now you're just looking to create chances, and you are highly skilled offensive players. You would think they'd be able to do it. And that's where Giroux thrives. Yes, that's where his number one, like that's why he's in the NHL, because of his ability to make plays. But yeah, it, it, it lends itself to it's probably a little bit of the coaching too. But I think it's definitely having an impact. I also think mm-hmm. the fact that nobody else can score, like Sean Couturier, as much as I love him, hasn't been good in the offensive zone. The bottom six has been absolutely atrocious, pretty much uh, Hackstall's entire six time. Are- Barely NHL players. Exactly. Since well, last year, opponents, last year. especially the and, and the year before, opponents have to opponents do not have to focus on defending them at all. All of the defensive effort is being put towards Claude Giroux. Maybe that can help explain it. And that's how it's been for most of his tenure here. I think one of the best years he had was when Yager was on his wing. Yes. Guess who's going to be drawing attention? Yager. There's somebody else to split up. And you the had Simmons. You efforts. had Simmons on a different line. You had Briere and Shen on another line. Like it was. You were oh, able. Danny, I'm you, gonna yeah, forget you about Danny able, B. You were able to split it up somewhat. Still at that point. Yep. And mm. that's what we're getting to. Hopefully now this season. Hopefully this year they definitely have better depth. My only concern about that theory is that. There were a few years. Now, Grant, I agree that the Yager year, that team was very deep. That was a good team. Yeah. That they could roll, basically could roll four lines. They, I mean, Sean Gattari yeah. was on the fourth line that year. Yeah. You could roll four good lines that year. There were a few years, you know, in the heart of the Berube era, when, when it was a mess, that, like, the Giroux line from a Corsi standpoint was around 55%, which is, like, legitimately awesome. And then the second line was at, like, 48. And the third line was at, like, 47. And the fourth line was at, like, 44. 
the Drew line was literally the only line that could do anything oh. from a play driving standpoint, and they still racked up the points. He absolutely, like, I'm not discounting the fact he was in the heart of his prime yeah, then and yeah. was awesome. I just, I remember watching those games, and my takeaway was that Claude Giroux wins every shift. Claude yeah. Giroux goes out and wins every single shift, and the only reason he doesn't score is someone else didn't finish or the goalie made an amazing save. Like, that's how it seemed watching Giroux for those, like, three or four years when yeah. he was a point of game player uh, in the MVP. Uh, uh, in MVP talks, like top 10 in that voting. Mm-hmm. That's what it seemed like out of him for that time. He's definitely exiting his prime or has already completely exited it. Yeah, it's now just quite. It's now just what can we get out of him going forward because we need something because he's not going anywhere. There was a point where I was very much on the trade Claude Giroux train. Well, I wanted done. No, now it's over. Now you can't, and I don't want to because it would be throwing away a guy who I would like to see keep here, and I honestly just don't want to be the franchise that trades its captain every four years. <laughs> I, I would really like I, to I'm, avoid that. I just don't want to continue doing that for the next um, rest of my life. Let, let's talk about trade scenarios a little bit later. Yeah. Um, because I think that there's something that's floating around that could be fun. Yeah, we should probably, probably talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that a but little we'll bit later. But we'll get to it. But I think that, I, 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 and I've been saying this for a couple years, and I have <laughs> been wrong for a couple years <laughs> about how Claude Giroux is not in decline. He's fine. And, and all right, oh. I, this is me admitting it. I, I've been wrong. He is. Oh, no, are, I've are got you, tweets of yours oh God, at me. Oh, God, he's looking them up. Um, I should have looked these up first. Keep talking. You know, he is, he's aging, but he's a smart player. His hands are not going to go away. His hockey IQ is not going to go away. It's not like he's going to decline, then fall off a cliff and just be a completely useless Andrew McDonald type of player where people are, are dragging him around. Worst case scenario, he ends up on the third line in a couple years. Like, I could never imagine him even even being on the fourth line just because he's he's not going to be that bad. It's just not going to happen. William. Oh. You are not seriously telling me that Claude Giroux is currently in decline, are you? What, what Bill, year was this? This was 8 11 16. This was oh, almost, almost a, exactly year ago. a year ago. Oh, wow. All right. Wow. Bill's reply No, his points tell his point totals are saying that. Steph, oh, 67 boy. points in 78 games. The year before, he had 73 and 81. That's pretty even, buddy. It is pretty even. It actually even. was pretty Bill, even. Thank she, you. Was, she was right on that one. Bill. Thank you. Used to be a point per game player. His okay. numbers were in decline at that point. I mean, now they've taken a nosedive. Well, I mean, nosedive. So, the the thing we do have to go back to here, and I guess this is when we're talking about like worst case scenarios, is that Drew is still really good on the power play. Yeah. Drew still generates a ton of value on the power play. As long as he continues to do that, he's still, in terms of, because this is when we go back to the whole like five on five versus power play. Like, Steph is 100% right when she hmm. says that you can't just ignore power play stuff. Like, for example, so one one of what, the what am I again? I'm 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 100 right. Thank you. So here's here's a way to to kind of quantify that. One of the most popular models out today is is DTM about hearts uh, GAR stat goals above replacement. In that stat, and this is a stat who hates Drew at five on five. Drew in that stat is a plus point one in terms of five on five contribution. Basically a re- basically a replacement level player, but. He's still a nine goal above replacement player almost entirely because he's amazing on the power play. So like mm. the value you get is still there if you if you're good on the power play. And Drew still is. So you just gotta hope he stays good on the power play. That's that's all I'm hoping for out of Drew. Go ahead, Steph. 
Well, that and and there are reinforcements coming. So this is this is what we've been saying we needed. We need another center that's going to back up Claude Giroux. And for a little while, I thought it was Sean Couturier, and I, I've resigned myself to the fact that it is not. Maybe Nolan Patrick. Nolan Patrick. That's thank God they won that lottery. Because I'm, yes. I'm reading stuff about like how uh, John Tavares wants to stay. In, uh, of course he does. In 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 with he's the insane, Islanders, but of course but he like, weirdo. Because like, one sees why? just don't, those guys don't leave. Uh, he's just saying that to the press. Who the hell knows well, what sure, he really wants? But but like, are the Islanders going to be in Long Island in two years? Do they even have an arena? No, <laughs> no. But that's, we'd be like sitting there, like okay, like the Leafs were before they got Matthews, just hoping Stamkos yeah, comes loose. True. We'd be sitting there, like, well, maybe Tavares will come loose and we'll get him, or we'd be one of these te- like, and we'll sign him for his twenty. Eight to thirty-five-year-old seasons, or we'd be one of these teams who are like, maybe we can get Duchesne, who's already twenty-six. I'm so glad. Thank God they won that lottery just to take them out of that conversation. What maybe they lack in a true number one, like superstar center, they will make up for in their depth with Couturier, with Patrick, and with Giroux. No, you can get by. Like, l- all right, let's let's assume like a. a- I guess not even a best case scenario because the best case scenario would be Giroux bounces back and then you have two two one C's yeah. and then a two C in Gatorade. Oh hot damn! But let's say Giroux is basically a three C at five on five and a great power play weapon. Nolan Patrick is a one C at five on five and a good power play weapon. And Sean Gatorade is what he is. He's a very good at five on five. Doesn't play on the power play because he's not that good at it. Even if Claude Giroux, in terms of like actual value added to the team, is more of like a $5 million player than an $8 million player. If you're getting surplus value from Couturier and Patrick, you can you can survive that, and, and that won't be a huge issue. It just comes down to, as you've said a bunch of times, Bill, like, can Giroux stabilize? And that's the hope 60 at this to point. 65 Can points. he stabilize? And, and I do think, if I had to project, I would say I would project Giroux to be around the 60 to 65 point range next year. And that's partially because... What do you have, 57, 58? 58. 58, 58. yeah. Okay. That's yes. partially... You know, I mean, it's close. It, yeah, it's, <sighs> but like, we do have to acknowledge, aside from the injury, and aside from the coaching concerns that we've had about the system, he did get some really bad luck. A lot of the forwards did, but he did too. Example being this, and this is one number I like to go go to when I'm checking to see if a guy had especially bad luck that year. Generally speaking, good forwards they will get a point on about seventy percent of the goals that are scored when they're on the ice. Because generally speaking, Ford's such a puck a lot in the offensive zone. So when a goal scored in the offensive zone, they usually get a point on about 70 to 80%. 70 being the low end, 80% being the very high end. Giroux this year scored a point on 52.9% of the goals that were scored when he was on the ice. Which is really, really low. And it's really unsustainably low considering the fact that Giroux is involved in the offense. <laughs> in the He's offensive the zone. only one. He's yeah. the point guard. Like, the offense it. runs through him. So there were tons of times where, the, where on the rare occasions the Flyers did score when he was on the ice, it was like, okay, well, you know, McDonald passes it to Ghost. Ghost passes it back to McDonald. McDonald passes it to Voracek. Voracek scores. Giroux gets the plus, I guess. Doesn't get a point. I would not Whoa. expect that to happen again. I well, would, because Andrew McDonald is going to be blasted into the sun. That would be nice. Here's a question. But I, oh, I, I, I would expect that like that'll normalize, and that'll probably pick him up some points. 
And I don't think the Flyers are going to have that low of a shooting percentage this year, particularly a 5-on-5. That should help them pick up some points. And really, you pick up, you know, 7-8 points there, you're right where we're kind of hoping he ends up, which is that like 65-70 to point range. So I'm expecting a bounce back. I'm just hoping for maybe a little bit more than that if maybe the injury played more into it or the coach changes the style a little bit. I'm going I'm going to make a bold prediction. Okay. Claude Giroux will lead the team in both points and goals in this upcoming season. Uh, that leads me to my next question. Uh since Giroux became the 1C, which was 2011-12, uh goals per game numbers 0.36, which is just high. 0.27, 0.34, 0.31, 0.28, and then last year 0.17. Where did the goal scoring go? 14 goals out of a guy who was mid-20s most of his career. So, with Steph's prediction, I don't think the the points is, like, I don't think that's unattainable. No, I I don't think it's unattainable either. I agree with you. I think Giroux will lead the team in points next year. As Bill pointed out, the goals, that's the bold prediction. Where did the goal scoring go? If Giroux can outscore Wayne Simmons, that'd be pretty awesome. To talk about the goal scoring, and this is another thing I talked about in the article, Giroux over the last four years, is taking shots from further and further away each year. Why? That's a great question. I'd love to know the answer. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's the system. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's mental. Like, there are a lot of possible explanations for this. One is just, well, Hackstall's telling him to, to shoot from further away. Another is he's trying to protect the defense, so he's taking shots from further away so he can get back on defense quicker because he knows his defense sucks. That's a possibility. Which would not be shocking. Which wouldn't yeah. be shocking at all. Another possibility is that he's just not physically able to get to the dirty areas as much as he used to, and so he's not doing it as much because he can't get there. Like, there are a lot of different possibilities, but the fact is he shooting from further away and I don't know why that's because it at, on the power play he goes in those modes sometimes where he gets a little frustrated and just starts ripping one-timers but he's like, in that one spot but he's always yeah. in that spot and he scores from that spot at 515 I feel like I just saw him take so many uh like high wrist shots from like the top of the slot that just weren't going in above the slot like above the top of the circles that just aren't going in like Alex Ovechkin can't score from there you're not gonna do it bro like I just (laughs) and I I think a lot of it gets back to especially last season like I said he had the dramatic drop off in goals his drop was a little bit before he had 22 he's always averaged around mid-20s but this year he had 14 like is, is it just that everyone was more conservative because the goalies couldn't make a stop? Because that's what I try to blame everything on. The goalies couldn't make a stop, so all the fun stuff stopped. The defensemen <laughs> stopped pinching as much. The forwards stopped going in as hard. The center had to basically be a third defenseman. Uh, I've been, is it easy? Is it? Can I just blame that? I've been blaming the defense since Nick Grossman and Andre Mazaros. Mazaros was good until he got hurt. Gone wrong last season went wrong. Uh, That's every true. single thing that could have gone wrong. But now it's it's a little bit more difficult to blame the defense with Gudis, with Provorov, with Ghost. Still half a defense, but it's still half a defense. Yeah. <laughs> and Andrew McDonald still getting twenty minutes a game, and Gossis Bear was hurt for half the year. And Ivan Provorov is having to drag around. I, I don't even. I, I, I can't. Yeah, I can't. And then you had I can't Del- Delzato was a mess. Del- Schultz actually bad. played some hockey. Like they, I would have rather the games did Schultz even play? He played like forty, year. I think. Did no? Oh, I don't think it was that many. Was My it? Memory does not allow <laughs> he me. He might to. not play. Maybe maybe he played more like thirty. I mean, I, to get back to this outside <laughs> shot thing, this is not 
like new. We were complaining about this throughout the season. Yeah. Yeah. That the Flyers were taking too many shots from the outside and we couldn't figure out why we were doing it. And I think that as the season went on, we kind of determined it's because their coach is trash. I mean, Braden Shen said it. Like, this isn't working for us. We can't score yeah. if all we're Should doing is kept. taking these outside shots. <laughs> <laughs> now, Steph. When you get the comments about this, should have kept Braden right. Shen. Get off of that Facebook. No, I'm, le- I'm leaning in. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. Should have kept. Yeah, I'm leaning go in. Go for it. Yeah. We talk about uh, Matt Duchesne. How do you, is that how you say his name? That is yeah. how you say his name. Out out in, in Colorado. You know who had as many points as Braden Shen last year and the year before? And they're at the same pace and he gets paid more? It's Matt Duchesne. Should have kept right. But they but everyone's crazy about this guy. And he's older too, I think. Or they're they're within Are people still I think crazy they're within about Matt Duchesne? months of each other. I, I, feel like I don't think, I don't like think a, he's going to get traded. There was like a two no, I don't think period he is when everyone traded. wanted Matt Duchesne. But I, I think that, that ship has sailed. Yeah, I, for I, sure. I don't think that he's getting traded. Everybody no. really wanted Matt Duchesne until they saw Matt Duchesne play. And they looked at the numbers and they were like, oh, mm, he's no not thanks. the guy I thought he was two years well, ago. He huh? also, and, and I mean, I'm, an, I'm a Matt Duchesne fan. Not like desperately we need Matt Duchesne. But like, it was pretty clear over the second half of last year that he just gave up. Because he's, oh, I mean, he's yeah. basically just like, this team's garbage. I'm probably getting traded. Well, their Screw coach this. quit on him at like this time last year. He <laughs> yeah. just, he just up true. and was like, yeah, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. out of here. <laughs> that was the whole thing. So I guess you know we'll, we'll kind of bring this full circle with Giroux. Okay. I already said my expectation for Giroux. I'm, I look at this as decently optimistic. I think he's going to get around 65 points next year. What are we expecting? Steph said she expects him to score the most goals and the most and the most points. Yep. Kelly, Bill. what's that number though? I think he's going to have more than sixty-five points. Okay, more than sixty-five. Yeah, I'm um, pretty confident in saying that. I would. I I need to do math, and I'm not a mather. <laughs> uh, Char- Just gut feeling. Like, I I'd say I'd say sixty-five points. And, and I'm comfortable saying that. Okay, I, I could see him exceeding it. I'm comfortable saying 65 points. He was at 58 this year, and this this year was fucking abysmal. 65 is my optimistic hope. Uh, hopefully, it's not below 55. I'm comfortable with pretty much the same number this year. Okay. Uh, 50, 57 to 62. I would say is what I am thinking he's most likely to pick up just raw scoring numbers. And, and what would your, if he were to plateau kind of right here around 60 points, what would your opinions be this time next year? As long as he continues to be one of the best power play point guards in the league and Nolan Patrick is as good as we are hoping he is going to be, uh, we will have to make do. It doesn't matter what my opinion of it is because he's not going anywhere and he's got to play his role and hopefully he just doesn't continue to decline any further. Mm. And Sean Couturier steps up a bit. Nolan Patrick is who he's supposed to be. That 4C role is filled by someone who can play instead of P.E. Belmar. And we go from there and hopefully it works itself out. Yeah, I, I would say it depends on, like, you know, not to get too nerdy, it depends on some of the underlying numbers. You know, if yeah. if Drew scores sixty points, but he's back drive and play again, that's fine. Like I I I be I be pumped if Drew was a plus three percentage points Corsi and expected goals guy next year, even if he gets sixty points. Just, you know what? Okay, fine. He's not the scorer he once was, but he's driving positive outcomes, and we don't need him to be a superstar anymore because they have Nolan Patrick, who hopefully is establishing himself as an above-average center in the league. That was the one thing that just, like I said earlier, like when Giroux was in his absolute prime, it looked like he won every single shift. Last year, there would just be shifts. 
he was buried in the defensive yeah. zone. And yeah. I was like, I've never seen him. This was he, this wasn't what it looked like when he was a rookie in the league. The, the, last year was the least fun hockey that I've ever watched. It was, ever. It was a little it bit was, of a bummer. It, it was a lot of bit of a bummer. It sucked. I'll yep. tell you what's not a bummer, though, guys. Please tell me. The top 25 under 25. Hey. hey. I was hoping for like Party. sound effects there, but I don't, I don't remember. That. I don't have <laughs> we're them. All, we're we, all, we do our best. We're the only ones here. Yeah. Uh, but So uh, the first, what, six are out. The first, yeah, first six have been announced. Uh, there was a tie, which bothered me. But Yeah, who likes ties? Yeah. Well, <laughs> nerd. You Why see, didn't there they was just a, go to a shootout? We see there was a whole conversation around ties, and you missed it. So we went with a tie. You know you know my thing. Majority rules. <laughs> okay. Uh, 25, <laughs> Mark Friedman. 24, Matt Strom. Tied for 22nd, Wade Allison and Pascal LaBerge. 21, Mikhail Vorobiov. 20, Isaac Ratcliffe. Uh, these are really close to where I had my rankings. I was going to say, I feel like these are Matt the names. Strom. These are the names we pretty much talked about as a group yeah. last week. Uh, just how do we think the rankings are turning out? What do we? How do we see them going forward, etc. I think the uh, the only guy who was missing from our list that was on mine was Tanner Lazinski, who I'm especially high on. I know I'm kind of out on an island there, but I like him a lot. I think he was like 27th or 28th. I think I had him like 19th. Aside from that, like I didn't have Strom. I can I can see the argument for him. I think the main reason why he made it on the list is because Kurt ranked him ridiculously <laughs> high. So blame him. It's nice. Totally Kurt. But uh, like Friedman, I'm really high on. Anybody that goes to Dev Camp knows how hard that guy works in Dev Camp. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, Wade Allison, I like him as like the best shooting prospect they have on the team. LeBurge are hoping for a bounce back. Verobia, I love, and I I wrote the article because I I really really high on the yeah. team. But go back to LeBurge. You've sold me on Verobiov. Uh, I love Ratcliffe. Just watching that dude, I just I see a lot of ceiling there. Uh, LeBurge with the concussion last year. Came back from it, was out another game or two later, uh, suffering from the effects of that concussion. What I, I was su- most surprised by his inclusion on the lif- list because of the recency bias of people loving the new prospects and having seen other guys play uh, in his absence last season. What did we think about his inclusion? I definitely had him on my list. I'm trying to find it, and I, I can't find my list anywhere, which sucks. Um but I had him on my list because I'm not going to hold an injury against a player. It was bad, though. It was bad, but, I mean, they, they bounced back, and he, he rested for a long time. Yeah, I'm not concerned about, like, the concussion recurring. What I'm concerned about is that he's going to be gun-shy from now on because he got absolutely killed in with a ridiculous cheap shot. If you haven't seen the video of that hit, like, it was, it was as dirty of a hit as you're going to see in junior hockey. Like it was, it was pathetic that that happened, and it was she, high and blindsided. Yeah, it was and everything awful. about it, yeah, was, it was bad. Gross. But like you take a hit like that, and you're and as by his own admission, like he couldn't sleep for a month after the injury. Like you get a little gun shy, and the worry with him is that is he ever going to play as aggressive as he played before the injury? Because understandably, you're kind of worried that if the minute you put your head down, you're going to get killed again by another asshole running, you know, trying to run you. And that's why you go out and get Ryan Reeves. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. But help me. this is the plot of Goon, guys. There I you mean, go. this is exactly oh, yeah, what L- happened. Laflamme. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, oh, my God, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, the, I think the reason why LaBerge has, almost has to be on this list is because the skill set is, is through the roof. 
Like yep. he was a the guy they took in the in the early second round last draft. Was but, he and, the but first it, second round pick last he year? He was, yeah. Okay. And he was a guy who everybody was like, yeah, he was a he's a first round talent that they got in the second round. It right, just right, right, to slip. right, like, right, right. He's got skill, and I remember last not this development camp, but the development camp previous, like. Aside from the fact that he's utterly like rail thin, and you could tell like he obviously needs to bulk up, like the skill set was great. He was making moves that nobody else could could dream of, aside from maybe Konechny. And you don't forget that, like guys mm-hmm. that have that skill set, like, that doesn't go away. Yeah, you have to, you know, get yourself back in the mentality that you're willing to lay it all out there and not worry about the next cheap shot. But if he gets past that, the skill set's there. And that's why, like, I have to put him over guys, you know, that maybe don't have that kind of upside. Yeah. And I actually, I'm lo- I found my list. I had him at 19. Did um, I rank him? Mm, Kelly. I you, think I was worried you had, about his You head. had him at 22. Okay. Um, I didn't put Matt Strom on my list, which Nailed we talked it. about in depth last week. I just, I can't put someone who cannot skate, which is a fundamental... <laughs> On the top 25 list, I may, I didn't rank past 25, but if I had, he was probably in the next one or two. Yeah. But I, I just couldn't do it in the top 25. And, and LaBurge, I really like. Um, who else I had on my list? Um, I'm trying to see that nobody else did. Oh, Noah Cates, I had at 21. He made the honorable mention. He didn't, yeah, he didn't make our top 25, correct? No, yeah. okay. but I mean, that's a bold choice. Like, yes. it's, it, that's one of those choices you make because you want to make a statement of, like, I'm really high on this guy. And, and then, I am. And then if you're right, it's like, hey, guess who was ranking Noah Cates for everybody else? That's right, it's me. That's, uh, 20, me. from what it looks like, and we all had our list somewhat at least similar, like 20 to 30. Could be uh, anyone. The could number, anyone. Of pro- the yeah. sheer volume of prospects. I mean, some of these guys are going to turn out. Some of them aren't. Someone's going to be right about it. Yeah. But they're all pretty close, especially guys who are in the same like stage of their development. Like we yeah. were talking a little further up the list, Moran and Hag. One's going to be better than the other. I don't know which. At the, <laughs> I, yeah. I probably have Moran higher, but I mean, Hag could just as well have a better career. That wouldn't surprise me a little bit. I've decided to get a real bug up my ass about the defensive prospects, but I think that's for another time. <laughs> okay. um, we got a whole month of August. We, yeah, we've, and then we'll go, we'll do it when we get further up the list. Um, I'm a little embarrassed that Vorobiov didn't make my list. Because I do like him a lot, and he just isn't on it. I think I was the, oh, no, Kate, also, you didn't rank Vorobiev. Ooh, you guys hate Charlie, that's why. I'm really. Yeah, like, no, that's it. I, so I, I had Vorobiev. Uh, oh, Allison, too. There were three okay. of us. I had him 15th on my list. Um, I had him right behind Morgan Frost on my list. And I think the reasons why I like him a lot is, number one, I'm extremely confident that he sticks at center. I think he's got the skill set to be a center. I think he's going to develop as a center, and I think centers are pretty darn valuable in this league. And even if you get a middle six center in the NHL, that's the kind of guy who can get you know four to five million dollars a year on the open market. So if that's what he becomes, that's awesome. Even though I don't see him as a top line center, I don't see him as having top line center upside. Like I could plausibly see Morgan Frost being you know like a Vincent Trocheck. I could obviously see you know Rubsoff being a, a top line center if everything breaks right and Nolan Patrick's you know yeah you're hoping he's a top line center. For Robev is more like a middle six guy if he pans out, but the skill set is it, it's almost like Couturier light, which I mean it would be great if we have another person that we can all yell out online about. <laughs> be so but, good. but like it's the kind, show will never end. It's kind of the same thing. Like he's a big center, not the greatest skater. He's he's a I think he's a better pure passer than Gaturier. But he's got the same like strong on the puck, smart player, two way guy. 
and he killed it at World Juniors. Like he did. Yeah. He he had ten points in seven games, all assists. Yeah. And what I really liked about what I what I saw from him in the World Juniors is that he had no problem playing behind the net with the puck. And I love to see that with a guy who is not afraid to just park behind the net. And if somebody comes around one side, he goes around, around the, other, the other, and then he finds a guy open in the slot, and they get a scoring chance. I like, can't. No one on the Flyers does that. And <laughs> to watch, like after watching three months of. Everyone being allergic to behind the net, watching in late December, Vorobiev doing that the entire tournament was like, shit, finally, someone in this organization well, is willing to play back there. You know, behind the net is lava. <laughs> I can't speak enough about how badly I want to see the Flyers use that space behind the net more this season. Yeah. Uh, on the power play especially, I think it's a great way for Drew to create himself some space, uh, get Voracek more involved. They A couple of times, they used... Uh, on the power play, Drew DeVore check behind the net passes instead of cross-ice passes because those aren't, of course, incredibly difficult. It takes a little geometry to get those bounce passes off the backboards. But if you do it, there's no way to defend it, especially when there's only four guys on the ice for yep. the other team. I really want to see that, uh, your assessment that Vorobiov uses the back of the net. I would... I- that's how, that's where goals come from now. There's only so many ways to beat these gigantic goalies with these gigantic pads. You either get a one-timer, get a deflection, or get him moving the wrong way. And you do that by going behind the net and then throwing it out on the short side. And then what happens? Bank it off the back. I'm of hurt. I hear they score a goal. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I've seen other. <laughs> I've, I've seen other teams do it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I know all of those actions from our yeah, goalies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it happen to Steve Mason and Michael Neuver. <laughs> it's funny though to go back to like I think the last guy we haven't really talked too much about. I actually expected, and this is around where I ranked him. So I'm I'm in agreement with the you know group wisdom. I expected Radcliffe to be higher. I thought that that people were going to rank him a little bit higher than 20 just because of the crazy high upside. I think I had him at like 19 and you it did. gets it back was 19. And it gets back to there's just a line. Yeah. Like when do I honestly expect Isaac Ratcliffe to be here especially if he's a quote unquote project? Yeah. Like there's only 12 forward spots and most of them are filled for the foreseeable future. I had him at 22 um because this this off season I've decided that this is the off season I'm going to be obsessed with size. Um, this offseason. Just this offseason. <laughs> because uh, apparently it was not common knowledge that... You're the a fl- size queen? <laughs> well, that. that. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> that my stepmother is watching. Thank you very much. Um, that We're talking about hockey players. The Flyers are, last year, were the smallest team in the league. And I, I knew that, but apparently it was not well known. And I'm just, I'm sick... Know. I'm sick of I'm sick of our dudes getting pushed around. I'm sick of getting run over by These other teams. Small I want... betas just getting pushed <laughs> around. <laughs> Beta cucks. <laughs> um, I know. I need I need some big dudes, and we've, we've got an infusion of them coming. And Moran's definitely going to help that. Moran is definitely going to help. So is Myers. So is Sanheim when they get here. Oh, Myers um, is making the team this year. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Nolan Patrick, big dude, which is why I wanted him over Nico. Um, and Isaac Ratcliffe is a big guy. I'm he excited about this. L- Limblom's 6'2". That's also he's, exciting he's, he's for a little, me. He's a little skinny, but like he's tall. Yeah, but he's also jacked. Is he? Did you not see him at trial on the aisle? I did not. I will show you pictures later. <laughs> okay. All right. This uh, got really weird. Folks. 
I'll tell you what's weird is this hilarious rumor from our good friends at Hockey Buzz, oh, uh, specifically good old Eklund. Uh, the 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 rumor brewing between the Montreal Canadiens and the Philadelphia Flyers, Sanheim and a pick for Max Pacioretty. It can't happen because uh, Travis Sanheim is not a French gentleman. We were all at a pool party and we all just laughed at this and then went yeah, back to swimming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's pretty much the exact Literally reaction. Happened. It's just so damn funny. Be- mostly, I mean, just the way the way it's written. It just, uh, all right, so this is the way it's written. I'm going to read it because, all right, sorry for the delay today, but I have been chasing this one down. The rumor involves Montreal and Philadelphia, ellipsis. In the deal, the Flyers would send Travis Sanheim and a third-round pick to Montreal for Max Pacioretty? Question mark. (laughs) Again, it is just a rumor, but does have some legs to it. E3. Those aren't things that... that, that's not a that's not a report. <laughs> that's something you just made up. If it was a fourth round pick, I'd buy it. Bill, Bill, but, but I don't. But it was an E three. Is E three? What Bill. does that mean? <laughs> I don't no know. I had, to, I had to ask Charlie. I'm like, what is the that, hell is that's this? Middle of the road maybe's. <laughs> it's a maybe. I, I just I read I read the wording of that, and I'm just this is something, and it's slow, and I get it. I'm trying to run a show here, and we're like, what the hell are we going to talk about? Thank God Charlie creates content. <laughs> <laughs> So we can just yell about Claude Giroux. But, like, he's... The inclusion of question marks, like, in a report that you're doing! You said you were chasing this down, and there's a question mark? He never caught up. One of the underrated parts of that, it was the very beginning. Sorry for the delay here. Like, yeah, everyone was waiting with breathless anticipation (laughs) for this rumor from you on a Saturday. Yes. Like, really? Come on, dude. I was furiously reloading the Hockey Buzz page. And I have my friends texting me, like, yo, is this possible? I'm like, think about it. Like, just think about the particulars here. Montreal is paying Shea Weber and they're paying Carey Price right now to win. And they just traded for Jonathan Druin. And they're going to trade their 1C for a defenseman who well, is one, probably... One, one wing. Yeah, wing. yeah, yeah, not... Yeah. They're going to trade one of their top... Their top scorer last year, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. For a defenseman who... Realistically, isn't going to contribute for them t- for them for a year because they the Flyers. I want Travis Sanheim on this team, but it's because I don't think they're really a playoff team to begin with. Right. If you're looking to compete for the playoffs, you're not trading for a guy who hasn't played in the NHL yet. No, you're not. No, it it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make for sense for a contributor, a guy who scores right now. It doesn't make sense. For either But team. it's that third round pick. It's not even a fourth. Well, it's a I third. Think it's a third. I think it'd be good for the Flyers, but... It, but the Flyers it, win it, that it trade in the short yeah. term. It would yeah. be good for them right now, but they're not winning no. right now. Yeah, what's the point of it? it how much better does it... It would just be it, burning cap space. Yeah, how much better... I, I This is a decent enough trade for the Flyers because they get a player who scores right now, and they need a player who scores right now, but how much better does it actually make them? Not that realistically. Much yeah, like are are we? We're probably if they made this deal, I would probably be like, yeah, you know. First off, it finally I think Kurt Wild said, Kurt, 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 cool. Kurt said this in our Slack. It finally ends the like random name Drew Voracek <laughs> name on Twitter. <laughs> but but I agree. Like, what does it do? It makes them into you know. Okay, now I feel confident they're going to make the wild card. Okay, that's 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 cool. That's and then nice. they, and then they're going to lose to Pittsburgh or Washington. Right. Then they Ooh. hit they hit Washington in the first round and and uh, they're. 
it, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't and make sense. I could eventually see, you know, they have this backlog on defense, Travis Sanheim being packaged for, you know, that scoring winger they're eventually going to need or whatever. But Travis Sanheim is the very first pick Ron Hextall made as general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. He started the quote-unquote process here. I don't see him going anywhere unless it's for something really valuable and scoring winger isn't that yet nope yeah i just i don't i can understand the logic behind if you're the flyers doing this deal because you figure you're cashing in on sanheim while he's still an unknown there's still a possibility that he just doesn't pan out and you get a max pack you're ready for him that's awesome but you look at the flip side of it this is a guy who hextall clearly likes a lot as you said first pick of his, of his tenure does he really want to never see what he can do in a flyers uniform and if sanheim is really good then his straight value goes even higher and mm. then he can get a guy you know a player that's younger and better than packy ready if he wants to trade sanheim i don't know i i, I don't think he'd do that it, it, does, it also doesn't seem like it fits with hexall's mo no. with the way he's building this team that's it he's never made any deal close to this and again when they are Closer to being contenders, I expect him to go out and make trades like this that will improve the team. If they need the scoring winger, they'll go get the scoring winger. But he has shown no interest in making a move like this to this point. He didn't like he he hasn't even sold like he, he was like all right I'll hold on to Mark Strait another year we'll see what we can get for him and then he brought in Philpola it's not even like he sold hard on Strait he's like yeah we'll bring in Philpola he's here for another year we get something like he just hasn't made one of these like big moves I don't see him doing it now especially not for the player named here well it's just like never he's never really mortgaged the future for the present. And I don't think he's going to until he thinks they're ready to win in the present. Right. And I don't think he thinks they're ready to win in the present. Well, not, we, have not. No, we have to like at least see what Nolan Patrick is before we're ready to be like, yeah, team's ready to win. Like, wait, This guy might not even play for them. Emotionally. He hasn't made the team yet. Yes, Oscar Lindblom hasn't made the team yet. Emotionally, I would be really upset if they traded Travis Sandheim because he is one of my favorite large adult sons <laughs> by far. The teacher's pet, right? He is the teacher's, he is the pet, teacher's pet, and yeah. I love him. Um, but let's talk about if if Montreal and Philadelphia are in trade talks, what uh, what player is French-Canadian and can help them win now? Yeah, see, that was what cracked me up about this whole Montreal thing, is that this trade makes no sense for Montreal, this trading pack you're ready for, for Sanheim. What possibly could make sense for Montreal? If there's one team... If there is one team out there right now that actually might ha- make sense to trade for Claude Giroux, it's Montreal. Because this is a team that has the cap space because they didn't sign back, um, what's his name, the the defenseman uh, Markov. So they have cap space. They have $9 million of the cap space. They got that. They don't have a first-line center. They're trying to win now. And they have a good young forward in Alex Galchenyuk who apparently they've decided they hate. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... Yeah, if there's talk between Philly and Montreal... Andrew's name and, and, ends in OUX. So that, so. that makes the and fans happy. And he speaks French. And the front mm-hmm. office happy. Mm-hmm. But, like, if there's a trade to be made... I'm, that's not me saying I think that they're going to trade for Claude Giroux. But, like, if they're talking, that's who I assume they're talking about. Yeah. Because that's what makes sense for Montreal right now. That's what fills the biggest hole they have. Not trading Sergachev for Drew and then immediately replacing Sergachev with Sanheim. 
but then giving up Packy Ready. Like, what was the point of this offseason then for Montreal? If they <laughs> but just, again, well, you Montreal. are just counting the mm-hmm. fact that they've made a lot of really stupid moves. And True. somehow, somehow they're still good. And it's I Perry have Brace. no they idea. They have a good goalie. Yeah. But Perry. like that helps a lot. Yeah. God, I don't understand that friggin' team, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> it's the Frenchies, man. There's oh, no just, understanding it, them. It just drives me crazy because Damn I think frogs. every year that they're going to be bad, and and they're not. As long as you have a like top three goalie, you're not going to be bad. That's true. You might not yeah. reach your pretend. You might not be great, but you'll make the playoffs. They can, especially in that division. Their division isn't the Metro. Like, not yet. <laughs> Not yet, no. Wait but, till Toronto comes through. Yeah, but they have, uh, they are in the playoffs based on the couple of star players they do have. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I did find it funny when, you know how, like, obviously the whole thing fell apart with Subban and they decided that Subban was the worst thing in the world and they had to trade him. So and stupid. Because, because there was a locker room cancer and all this other crap. Like, everyone that had a brain knew that the reason why Montreal sucked the, that year was because Price was hurt. Yeah. Like, that was the only reason why they were bad yeah. because they had, like, either the best or second-best goalie in hockey who missed the whole year, and then it was like, okay, well, who do we blame? P.K. Subban, he's the problem. Didn't they start 10-0 that year? Yeah, mm-hmm. they started out and really good. And then Price got hurt. <laughs> Price got hurt. Oh and then God. they're like, oh, it must be it must be P.K.'s fault. Like, it's those flashy hats. Their goalie hats. got hurt. <laughs> and, then, and then they made the trade for Weber. They get good the next year. It's like, oh, see, the trade made says, like, no, Price played. That's all that happened. <laughs> and then P.K. Subban in front of Pekka Rene goes to the Stanley Cup final. Huh. <laughs> There's that. Huh. That too. Weird. Uh, that, that, so, like, yes, Weird. that organization is asinine, but I just don't see a logistical reason. And I, we've already spent way too much time on this yeah. rumor. Well, because but we it think was it's so funny. ridiculous. It's funny. Yeah, it was so ridiculous. Like, we spend time no on things that make for, us laugh. It makes no sense for either team. No. And it became a talking point for a day. Granted, it was the weekend and, and it's, it's August. the summer. Yeah. But, it's like, August. it's still asinine. All right. I'm going to spend the rest of the summer writing trade rumors for BroadStreetHockey.com. We've got, we've got like, five minutes. Uh, we can do the voicemails next week. Um, We've got time. Unless you wanted to dig into something else that we can't save until next week. <sighs> oh. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> do you want to do the voicemails? I, I do, I'm a little, still a little confused on the logistics of the voicemails. So am I. So we'll just so save them for next week. Let's save the voicemails for next week. If you guys want to leave us a voicemail, you can call our Yelling About Sports hotline, which what's going to happen is you're going to call this number. The number is 267-585-4370. You're going to hear my voice telling you to leave a message telling us what you're yelling about, and we'll play it on the air and react. You can yell about the hockey team, the Flyers. Yep. Yeah. Uh, some people get cut off. Try to get it under like 30 seconds. Yeah. Be concise, but Try, you know. Yeah. So we'll, the number again, 267-585-4370. The, uh, the next thing, I guess, is uh, there was an article on CSN Philly, I guess, last week. It was, where do you see, like, if Nolan Patrick makes the team, and I guess we're still saying if because... They've been conservative. But if he makes the team, where do you expect him to fit into this lineup? And then, Charlie, you retweeted something from uh, at Charting Hockey, and it was the uh, like the best lines based on balance and fit. And just how are you penciling in the line? Well, first, talk about the chart, and then where do you see the lines going? Yes, yeah, so the, the chart, and, and this is Sean Tierney, who's, who's a good yeah. guy. He does a lot of great work on Twitter. Definitely follow him if you don't. Um, he admitted that this is a tough fit for the Flyers because you have 
Nolan Patrick, Jordan Wheel, and then Oscar Limbaugh, who he even put on because he's not a guy who I think is on non-Flyers fans' radars yeah, right yeah. now. But like, you have three guys who we really don't know what their NHL playing styles are going to be. This whole chart is based on playing styles and how playing styles complement each other. He put Nolan Patrick with Jordan Wheel and then either Reed or Weiss, whoever makes that. Like, that's fine. It's just that it's hard because we don't know who Patrick is at this point. I would say that Patrick, if he makes a team as the third or second line center, you know, depending on the game, basically, basically have him, you know, alternate with Couturier. Some nights Couturier gets more, you know, more five on five ice time. Some nights Patrick does. And then it's just a matter of, you know, who's the best fit with him. You know, maybe you put him with Konechny, maybe a Lindblom, maybe Wheel, maybe Simmons. Like, there's so many possibilities you could throw with, with Patrick. You're just going to have to see what works because with a rookie, you don't know what you don't know what compliments him because you don't really know what he's going to play in the NHL in terms of style. That's, we can read all we want about Nolan Patrick's style. Right now, I have him as the quote-unquote third line. You know I hate line labels because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really, it really just, it. Like, if the Flyers are leading, Sean Couturier is going to have the most ice time in the third period because he's the shutdown center. That's his job. Yeah. If the Flyers need a goal, it's going to be Claude Giroux, and it's going to be whoever is scoring that year or, that, or is having a great game because they need a freaking goal. So right now I have Patrick as the quote-unquote 3C, and I have him with Philpola because... I don't know if Patrick can play center at this level, and Philpel is a guy who's played left wing with another hybrid center situation with Stamkos. That's true. Uh, I, I see that being a good fit. Uh, I those like two, it. Them being able to split the defensive and neutral zone duties as a center, and I have him with Simmons, just another guy to protect him. A guy who plays a solid enough two-way game, gets to the net, gets greasy, gets behind the net, wins battles. I just see that as a good fit everyone together, uh, a way to protect Nolan Patrick, but also give him the ability to create offensively as well. I don't hate that. I, I don't hate that either. Um, I, I think that... Wheel Drew Konechny is my first line, because I just want to go out and outskill everybody with that line, see what happens. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, I like that. I also like splitting up Drew and Voracek. Yeah. I, I need to split up Drew and Voracek. Yeah. That's, that's a necessary... We did a show basically on that a yeah, week or two ago. Yeah, no, that's, that's a necessary agenda item for next season for me. Um, I think that Scott Lawton will make the team because he unblocked me on Twitter. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it was interesting you mentioned Philpola with Patrick. I don't... I'm a noted Philpola skeptic. I, I I just don't know how good of a player he is at this stage of his career, and I worry that you know he's going to drag down lines. But at the same time, one thing that Philpola is very good at is passing. He's he's a very good passer. And the one thing that I and I was I was a little bit on Team Nico. I still am very high on Patrick, but I was a little bit higher on Nico. But the one thing I did like about Patrick over Nico is that Patrick has a better shot than Nico, and he's more willing to use it. So I wouldn't necessarily hate Patrick being with. A pass first guy who just feeds Patrick the puck and lets him blast away. I like their give I like their ability to give and go yeah. and I like their ability to uh Philpola carry the puck over the blue line. Uh Simmons a guy who can go and get the puck in the corners. I just like the overall versatility of that. I think that could be their most versatile line. I, I think that could be, and again, all dependent on uh, Nolan Patrick making the team and being worth that kind of ice time. We all think he's going to be because he was the second overall pick. Anything else, guys? Uh, there was a note that Wheel, G, and TK is a very small line. That's fair. It, it is. is. It fair. is a small line. We need some size Wheel plays, in these parts. I, I, I Wheel think, plays bigger than he looks. I think I had my top line, so Wheel, Drew, Simmons. So that solved the size issue. There you go. Yeah. I like that. I just don't know about... I just 
you know, we'll see how it works out. That is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you so much to WIP, and thanks especially to John Barchard and the man behind the glass for us. Uh, have a great week, Philly. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah! Who's gonna score hockey goals? Our team! No one does more hockey than our boys! The Flyers! Broad Street Hockey Radio! Turn that shit up, you motherfucker! Broad Street Hockey Radio! Got the best fucking sports opinions! Hockey is a sport we talk about! The Ice Sport! We're partial to the Philadelphia team! The Flyers! Ready to talk about sports? Yeah. Are you ready to fart no. about sports? No. <laughs> Bill, cake or pie? Ice cream pie. Have you ever had the ice cream pie? <laughs> I didn't even I've know had, that existed. I've not had the ice cream pie, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> my friend's mom used to make what she called Mississippi mud pie. And yes. It had a chocolate cookie crust and coffee ice cream. Oh, see, you had Sorry. me until coffee, and now well, any, you're broken. Anything human. remotely like involving coffee is immediately disgusting because coffee is the worst. Well, it's a wow. shame that you're bad, man. So bad. No, it's the worst. Delicious. Person. Horrific. Uh, except just don't put it in my ice cream. That's all I ask. Coffee ice cream is my favorite thing. Well, so, well that's Charlie's up. not right. Uh, but I often good. like to put it in my coffee. <laughs> the worst. Jameson and coffee ice cream in coffee. Excellent. Right. Really? Instead of cream and sugar? Yeah. yeah. Screw all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get to the point. I mean, coffee ice cream Why would I want is milk? cream and sugar. <laughs> yeah, They're but like... Frozen. Putting ice cream in your coffee instead of cream and sugar? They I've, do done, it, I've done they it, do it like in twice Italy. because I was too lazy to go the 800 feet Those to good Wawa. Good old Italians. They don't. They're not I'm all so that bright, but they know to. what to do with food. Woo. See here. Here's an idea. <laughs> Rather than put ice cream in the coffee, why don't we just eat the ice cream and not drink the coffee? Uh, because you don't eat ice cream for breakfast, Charles. <laughs> hey, what world do you live in? You yeah. can eat anything for breakfast. That's fucking the entire really part of point. being a grown-up and it's having your entire life now. suck. I do tend to eat cookies <laughs> is for that breakfast. You get to eat whatever the fuck you want. Unless I, you're me, and then you say you can't have pizza when I mean, you're don't sad. you remember the, the old commercial? Reese's for breakfast? All day long. Yeah. I, I have been known to dunk Oreos in my coffee in the morning. I've had Cinnamon that Toast Crunch for for dinner delicious. three it's times really <laughs> in the last week. Oh. <laughs> We're really good adults, guys. I was really I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Jones it's a choice. For Cinnamon it's Toast Crunch on Sunday. And the milk you drink afterwards. I, I have a f- exactly. like, craving probably every weekend for cinnamon something. That's why I made a, I made a cinnamon mug, mug cake that did not do it for me. No, but, it didn't mm. cut it? Yeah, it worked. Mm. At the time. That sucks. Right. Yeah. Should we talk about hockey? I guess. <laughs> if we have to. I thought we were going to talk about car insurance and cake. Oh, yeah. Car insurance is a scam. Car insurance is the worst. <laughs> and soft yeah. pretzels and Reese's cups. Go to the general. Yeah. Save some time. Sponsors, we're looking for cheap <laughs> car insurance. <laughs> if you're right, interested, go what is it? What is it that uh, In... Wayne Simmons promotes? Cure auto insurance. I think it's yeah, cure. He does. It's cure. We auto should insurance. look into that. Hey, cure.
We all need car insurance. I, lo- I pay way too much at a discounted rate. I just I love how Wayne Simmons has like carried on the tradition of being absolutely awful at acting. Oh in my his god, they're like, all so, so bad. It's and bad. it's I I guarantee you it's partially intentional. Like he's trying to be that bad. Maybe I think they're just Canadian. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, there's no Canadian. There's no good Canadian actors. Not a one. Not like Ryan Gosling. He's not good. good he, Canadian is he Canadian? Actor? He is he's very Canadian. Canadian yes. Oh, and everyone Ryan, that's in a uh, funny movie. Too? Or not uh, the Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. He's not a good actor. He's fine. Well, they're uh, Canadian. The whole group of them the are Canadian. And, yeah, like ninety percent yeah. of freaks and geeks are from there. Yeah. What's his Robin face Sparkles. And, uh, that show was good. Robin Sparkles. Who? Robin Sparkles. Robin Sparkles. Sneaky go Canadians. To the mall. I never watched that Today. show. Anyway, go Canada. Should we talk hockey? No. Yeah. Yes. Right. We, we have on to. Facebook and three. Oh, I thought we were already on two Facebook. Two and one. Facebook's missing out. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.